Offset Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. And I'm Layla. Woo! Now, I know what you all are thinking. Zachary has changed. I'm kidding. He's, he couldn't make it tonight. But uh, my good friend Layla, who is an excellent guitar builder, was gracious enough to join us instead. Yay! Thanks for having me. Of course. We're glad that we could, we could fit you in before you go to your next guitar show. Yeah. For those of of you who don't know, Layla is the founder of Tuna Tone Instruments, and she builds some really beautiful guitars. And I'm I feel very lucky she's going to be building me one. I feel very lucky. I'm pumped for your build, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stoked. So, um, just to bring it back to uh, a big theme of our podcast, I have to ask you: Why did you name your company Tuna Tone? Well, that's a very good question. And there's a really technical answer, actually. Um, My cat's name is Tuna. And actually, my house's name is Tuna Town. So it only made sense for my guitars to somehow be called Tuna Tone. And I don't suppose your cat looks a bit like John Krasinski? Oh, sorry. I don't. I. I'm. I don't pick up on that reference. It's a, oh, it's a reference to the office. There's a character in the office, uh, Jim yeah. Helpert, and he's referred to by my personal favorite character, Andy Bernard. Oh, Big Tuna. Yes. No, actually, Tuna. My Tuna is like a little Tuna. She's like, she's really compact, and she's super fierce and an outdoor cat. So she's like, she's small and she's got short legs, but she's. <laughs> Super fierce. Like if a cat could have a six pack, like tuna. Would be. It's like oh, a tuna. Six pack loaf. Tuna. Tuna. Loaf. Oh, <laughs> Actually, you know, you know the part on a cat, like on their belly, that sort of like it's like a little bit of a floor sweeper. Like sometimes, like there's like <laughs> a little, little podge. Yeah. Okay. So I looked it up, and that's actually called a primordial pouch and what it is it's because when cats are fighting they're up on their hind legs and they're scratching each other and it's actually like a second layer of skin that is anatomically just there since birth (laughs) in order to basically protect their organs in case you know in a fight they're gashed and some of my friends say that tuna has a primordial six-pack instead (laughs) that's exactly why i'm a little overweight it's just in case i get mugged right so so if i get stabbed that you know it's not gonna get anything important aha your plan has been foiled by all of the six packs that contributed to this lack of six pack i think we call those a a pony keg that's a little keg Or if you're in Ohio, we call um, drive-throughs uh, pony kegs. Like the drive-through where you buy your pony keg is called a pony keg. Classic. <laughs> I appreciate it not being like a, a a giant horse keg. So you know, in the Midwest, like I, I like every time I go to the Midwest, I feel skinny. When I come back to like the West Coast, I, I don't. It's same. So. Same. Uh, different food in the Midwest. 
Layla, you got to go to the Midwest. And I haven't traveled enough through the through the states, honestly. You don't need to go to the Midwest, Layla. <laughs> Actually, Minneapolis is great. I'll be going there in about a month to see a friend. I've heard Minneapolis is really cool. It is. They have this big um, sculpture park, and it has a big mm-hmm. cherry spoon bridge, which you just have to Google. And they have this tree, and this tree has a bunch of wind chimes in it, and they're all playing all the notes from one song. So you stand underneath it, you're just being like flanked by music. It's pretty cool. And then they have a giant blue chicken statue. That's well, it's a rooster. It's a, I mean, it's a big blue cock. And Andrew, you can bleep that out. <laughs> it's literally called. The word was attended for its original academic purpose. It's it's literally called big blue cock. I think, but I digress. Is this a guitar? Is this a guitar podcast, or is it a Big Blue Cock podcast? No, it's a cats <laughs> podcast where we talk about cat themed guitars exclusively. Oh man! So Layla has the best cat themed guitars around. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking about. I was talking to a friend the other day about, you know, whether or not I should add like a little about tuna, um, kind of tab on my website. And, you know, on it kind of makes sense that the answer should probably be no. But at the same time, I really would like to do that just as an excuse to file through all my photos of her and find like the cutest ones. Um, but then I just think like, you know, she's this, she's this sort of this, this small creature but she's also fierce. She has a lot of attack. She's robust. Um, but she's also, you know, she's beautiful, but not fancy. And I just think, yeah, I think that all these things could actually apply to the guitars I make. So I feel like I should probably write something and put it on the website. Having picked up your guitar, I, I, I fully agree. Okay. And didn't you just, I think today you just posted a picture of how much your guitar weighs. Less than six pounds. That's a small Yeah, thing. less than six pounds. It's, yeah, it's two, 2.4. Well, I guess you don't work in kilos, but yeah, it's like 2.46 Yeah, kilos. it's like 5.8 pounds or something. Yeah, Which yeah, I know yeah, that if exactly. you buy a lightweight guitar body, those are usually six pounds mm-hmm. just for the body. Right, no hardware, no neck. But yours nothing. are under six pounds. They don't have neck dive. They're very comfortable. They're not, they're really not that small. Like they don't feel like a toy. No, my goal was to make them like a little bit more compact, very similar to Tuna. She's only slightly smaller than a regular adult cat, Um, but only slightly smaller than like, let's say a, a Strat or something like that. Maybe like two or three inches shorter than a regular sort of Strat. Um... But yeah, just that I feel makes a little bit of a difference without, yeah, like you say, being cartoonish or being feeling like an instrument that's not serious. Like it, it still, I think, feels like a serious It's not instrument. a first act and it's very apparent. Yeah. Mm, do they have first act guitars in Canada? No, actually, actually, I don't know if they do. They're little like $99 guitars that you buy in like um, a Walmart. Exclusively at Walmart. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that... <laughs> Is the is the first act guitar the the Walmart guitar that you got, Emily? And uh... it is. I bought I bought a loaded body first act for um 
I think it was marked for twenty dollars, and I ended up spending fifteen bucks on it because I'm like, I don't, I don't twenty dollars like this. I fifteen dollars like this. <laughs> um, stripped it, repainted it, put a better pickup in it, and uh, it, it's everyone's like it's just beautiful. You know, it sounds fine, really. It's like some people like the these weird like plasticky like you know a first act guitar when you see it because the pickups are very unique they're very plasticky and they kind of are almost um oval shaped but uh yeah it's uh it's fine i think my friend mostly hangs it on the wall as art in her little her little vikings minneapolis corner it does look like a vikings helmet yeah but those are first act guitars and i think um i think there are a lot of artists who have signature first act models or something. Adam Levine. Adam Levine. But Paul Westerberg of The Replacements has his own first act model, and he actually plays that thing. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, that's Minneapolis punk rock. <laughs> it's like a, like a Minneapolis-themed episode. I'm so sorry. I didn't plan this. So, Layla, I know that you and I had a very long conversation up in Vancouver. That was a lot of fun. It was so nice. Yeah, that was a really nice evening. Yeah. One thing one thing I really thought was interesting that um that we talked about was your philosophy when it came to building and using resources. And I thought it'd be really cool if you could just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I so I guess like my guitars are kind of inspired by sort of vintage and catalog guitars from like the 1960s, like in America and in Japan. Like I really just love Dan Electros and Silver Tones and K's and, um, and the Tysco's. Pardon me? And the Tysco's? Yes, I love Tysco guitars. And um, anyway, so like something that I really love about those guitars at that time was that they had this kind of like they were super futuristic, right? Like they were, um, yeah, just their shapes and materials, like they just kind of spoke to this like future. And now when you kind of look at them, you sort of see like that they they were kind of speaking to this like to this future, but still sort of like limited to um, the materials and like the processes of manufacturing that existed at the time and I think there's just such beauty in being able to look at an instrument that somebody was thinking about in this like futuristic way but is also really kind of settled into the time that it was actually made and it started I don't know I guess it started me thinking about just manufacturing and what but like I guess what, like that future that they were speaking to is kind of our present now. And, but I'm, I'm sort of inspired by the limits that they sort of ran into in terms of uh, the materials that were available and like the manufacturing processes that, that were available to them, to like builders at that time. And um, so I also come from an, a, a province in Canada called Alberta that um, has like one of the world's largest or the world's largest industrial project, which is the Alberta tar sands. Um, and the entire economy, I mean, even federally is sort of, uh, is, is sort of, I guess, 
organized like around uh, and reliant on um, on these Alberta tar sands. And they've, you know, anyway, the province and the nation have done a very bad job of uh, diversifying. And so there's a lot. So in the city that I live in, even though it's not the point of extraction, it's the, it's the largest city close to the point of extraction. Um, there's a ton of manufacturing that happens here. And so um, I, so what I've started to do is I've started to get really interested in not just designing like sort of the shapes of, you know, the body or the headstock or things like that, but starting to kind of get interested in, in making my own sort of bridges and, um, even like the mechanics around like, you know, this sort of thing and, um, like around parts and, Anyway, or like neck plates, tail pieces, like all that kind of stuff. And so just thinking about, yeah, just thinking about, I guess, the limitations or what's available like today, um, I'm kind of interested in using like materials that I'm not shipping over borders or anything like that, that I'm able to find locally, like in town. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm often kind of like running around to industrial areas in the city, like you know, buying brass or like, you know, getting to know people who work in steel manufacturing sites to like get parts made, like this sort of thing, just trying to like localize that sort of building. Not for this, not in this sort of uh, philosophy around, you know, I don't know, like similar to like eating local necessarily, but almost as like a, almost as like a similar kind of limitation to manufacturing as people in the 1960s, for example, would have kind of run into um, when designing still these like, you know, super futuristic instruments. Well, a lot of those, a lot of those guitars were made in Japanese factories and a few of them have just come to become reached this legendary status, but it's not, I mean, just in general, the heavy machinery, a lot of the, I mean, routing had to be done by hand, for instance. And so was my understanding. Yeah, and there was lots of like, I mean, just looking at the instruments, I can see that um, there's lots of it, like you mentioned, Tysco guitars, like, there's so much metal on those guitars sometimes, like, just like, like an incredible amount That's of so metal. Heavy. And I'm just, yeah, it's like, I, I've, yeah, I've gotten interested in sort of learning about kind of casting metal and I made myself a little forge at one point and, <laughs> and sort of melted down like an old bicycle rim to see about, you know, could I cast things out of aluminum and things like that. But anyways, I wasn't able to do it in a super refined way. So, um, so I, you know, started using brass and steel instead, but, um, yeah, but I think all of it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So if you're sourcing things locally, like what kind of woods are available in Alberta? I I haven't been there. And so I, I mean, I know there's Canada's just covered Yeah, totally. I, I actually read an article today, uh, unfortunately, um, is stating that uh, Canada is one of um, the top countries in the world responsible for deforestation um, and uh, that old growth forests are still sort of getting chopped down all over the place. But um, this light guitar that, um, that I... Um, that I posted about today and the one that Emily, you played, um, I, I was just using, like I used spruce, which grows here, but I, I use Sitka spruce, which, um, I believe is like more sort of in BC. Um, 
and walnut, and then the fingerboard is uh, robinia or black locust, which um, is is sort of native to North America, but uh, none of these woods are really sort of like native to Alberta hmm. specifically. Um, but uh, robinia sort of grows around like the in the southern states, like around the Appalachian Mountains, basically. But you and I talked about how things like rosewood used to be such a plentiful wood and just were. Yeah, Brazilian rosewood in particular. And I mean, and Indian rosewood then sort of like, you know, was the stand in or whatever. And um, now it's on the CITES list as of uh, January 2018. It was put on it was put on the CITES list. Um, Yeah, there's I worked I worked for Guitar Center that time and I cannot tell you how many questions I got about that, what that meant for people who wanted rosewood and I, you would not believe how many people were upset that that meant rosewood was going to be less available. Yeah. Isn't that like, like, isn't that such a funny thing to be upset about in the sense that for me, what's upsetting is deforestation is the fact that, you know, rosewood, I mean, it, it is, you know, to work with it, to work with it in the shop is something like quite special because it's so fragrant, but it's also deforested because it's used for perfume um and oh i didn't know that yeah i and um indian rosewood in particular and um i like to be upset about not being able to have that as a fingerboard versus being upset about you know capitalism or about you know about like like why this is even happening like why right. you know trees are endangered in the first place like the economic systems that you know, that, that make that possible. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously you can, you can get that color with other woods. Yeah. And, and actually, so have you guys, uh, have you guys, uh, like sort of, I don't know, like, are you familiar with, um, uh, with rock light? They make, no. Yeah. So they, it's, if you look it up online, they unfortunately have a pretty cryptic sort of description of what this material is, but um, they make something called Ibano, which is um, which is basically a black wood that you can you can use for fingerboards, for binding, for all this stuff. It has a similar hardness to ebony. Um, but my understanding is that, so it's not ebony, so it's not on the CITES list, but my understanding is that they use um, woods that are like abundant and sort of equally like hard and make a kind of composite that is that has like a grain pattern because there's wood involved in right. the process. Um, but uh, I think there's like, there's some kind of like like binding process, like an adhesion process you know, right. for this wood that they use. But um, I made a fingerboard out of it recently that was like, I mean, it's really gorgeous. It's really nice to use. Lots of luthiers use this stuff. And they're actually, they've recently come out with a second product, which um, basically is like a, is like a rosewood replacement. So that again, you can have um, a fingerboard or binding or whatever that is like a comparable hardness and aesthetically looks very similar to rosewood but it's Mm -hmm. not like it's it's not on the CITES list and it's not sort of yeah it's it's not like it's not using an endangered kind of species of tree right like that yeah and to be honest I would think that 99% of the humans in the world could 
barely tell the difference if at all. Oh, I I would yes, like ninety nine plus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things. You know, people have their ideas about, you know, well, this guitar had that, so it must be, you know, the be-all, end-all. That's what I want. People, I think, want very much what their idols played. Like, I think a lot of people want that. I mean, I play jazz masters because Elvis Costello played a jazz master. Mm -hmm. And if you're you're really into specs, you'd be like, oh, well, he had that beautiful walnut body and that rosewood neck and blah, 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 fretboard. And, And I don't know. I just could never get that. it's funny um, because I did a video for Eastwood a while back and I didn't even talk about Tonewood, but I just said the word Tonewood. And the only negative comment I got on that video was some guy who wrote disliked because of Tonewood. So obviously it's not as in vogue as it was before, or people maybe have different opinions about it, but there are people who believe that Tonewood matters and there's people who believe it doesn't. I think of all the parts of an electric guitar, when it really comes down to it, I think now this is obviously not the same for an acoustic guitar, but for an electric guitar, the wood I think has the least amount of impact of all of the other components. Not saying it doesn't have an impact, but because obviously like if you play a basswood guitar versus an alder guitar uh, with a string through body, the, the sustain is going to be notably different. But I mean, you there, it's not as much of a difference as the pickups or as the strings or the tuners, all of the above. Uh, the way I like to think about the the site the, the sites list is uh, uh, let I have a a plant in on my porch. It's a mint plant, and I like to make tea with it. Now, if I were to have everybody that I know come over and also have some tea. Uh, I would kill the entire plant and assuming that it's the only mint plant on the face of the planet, once it's gone, it's gone. And so if I, if I just make myself tea every once in a while, I have to let it grow back and to maintain the healthy status, then that's what I've got to do to continue enjoying mint tea. But if we keep going, this mint tea is going to be gone for good. And that's kind of a problem because then nobody gets it. I think that people don't quite understand the idea of, of once something is gone it's gone or you have to wait a very long time for it to come back because most people don't grow up on like farms like they don't understand the idea of you know if you plant corn every single year even though it's a big cash crop you will annihilate the soil you have to rotate your crops and you have to be patient and you have to do this and you have to do that you can't over farm your land because if you do it's worthless for years and you have to burn and you have to do crazy things but unless you're monsanto but that's a different thing altogether unless you're what monsanto monsanto oh right yeah monsanto sure i'm not familiar oh just um monsanto is like uh i mean it's a huge they they just they changed the name uh or they bought into a different company uh, what was that name now? But anyway, Monsanto is this, uh, I mean, just like a pure evil um, international conglomerate that's basically, um, that's basically like changed the face of agriculture permanently and like, and food sort of permanently. So they have these like horrible practices of um, essentially sort of, um, essentially sort of, you know, force like of uh of patenting seeds which is like kind of incredible because how can you patent a 
thing of nature. But um, they have this thing where they sort of patent seeds. Um, and then farmers are essentially forced to uh, pay for it because it spreads into their into their lands, right? Yes, exactly. So yeah. yeah, to like purchase those seeds in, you know, to the tune of like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars per year. Um, but then also to uh, buy their their pesticides, which is Roundup. Um, and yeah, if there's like a single seed, this like patented seed that, you know, flies from one, one farm to another, if Monsanto finds that seed like in a different field and that farmer didn't pay for that sort of that, um, for that seed because it's patented and Monsanto owns it there, it's basically considered theft. And like farmers have, there was, um, a really notable story in Canada where that happened. And, um, he, like this, this farmer essentially had to burn all of his crops, like in that entire year, because it was, um, because he'd be sort of like, like his stealing their corn would basically be ruined. Yeah. Like his, his, entire livelihood like for many many years would be would be ruined just because like they found evidence of monsanto like seeds on his farm but like that could have happened in the wind right i mean that'd be like if you sneezed on me and then i had to like burn all my guitars yeah exactly exactly but um yeah anyway they're i mean it they're they're too evil to be able to sort of condense into a slow elevator ride um they're just so awful and actually they recently changed their name because their name is associated with that they changed the name they also just merged with a giant pharma company so yay. right yeah. oh man yeah it's terrible yeah. yeah. But I do I do have to agree with you um Andrew like what you were saying before about um like or or this sort of idea of tonewood. I mean, I think, you know, there is a time I I'm not really a guitar player and so when I started building guitars, I just started doing like a boatload of research basically and so some of the research that I was doing like if I was curious about a particular technique or this sort of thing. And this was like before I sort of um, had a community of like, you know, high quality builders around me that I could like ask questions to. Um, but uh, I would look on like sort of internet forums and this kind of thing just to like see what people were thinking. And I mean, it's like kind of incredible. Like there's, you know, I don't know, <laughs> there's, you know, you, I, I remember sort of typing into a forum something about using milk paint as a you know, as a, as a finish or as part of a finish for a guitar and, you know, people asking questions like, oh yeah, like how does milk paint affect the tone of the guitar? And I just thought like, never mind, like, huh. never mind. Like, I'm just going to like X out of this like tab right. or whatever, because to me, like what a ridiculous question. Like, yeah, of course, everything affects tone, everything affects tone, but the question is not you know, does it affect tone? The question is how significantly does it affect tone? And you're right. Like there's certain things that are very significantly going to affect tone, like pickups, but also even just like the execution or construction of a, you know, of the instrument, like the materials that are chosen, like all this kind of stuff and, and not even materials as in, you know, is it Brazilian rose, rosewood versus Indian rosewood? It's like, um, just like, like the sort of quality of the wood or, you know, this sort of thing. Like, I think all those things do are going to affect the tone, like 
more significantly than some things that, you know, people on forums just get really hung up on. And I think they get hung up on them based on what you were talking about, Emily, which is this attachment to history, like attachment to the guitars that their idols played. And there's this idea that, yeah, you know, because like their favorite musician played this guitar, it means that, you know, uh, it means that an ash body is better than an alder body. Well, is it like, <laughs> like, is that really the logic? And I personally don't think so. And is that the thing you're going to notice? Or are you going to notice the weight? Are you mostly the weight, the balance? I mean, it can affect those things for sure. But I mean, it's just, it's not going to be a noticeable difference. There's no way. But quality, the quality is definitely what matters from start to finish. I agree. Yeah. But speaking, speaking of builders, you know, I think that a lot of people in the guitar community, especially people who spend a lot of time in gear groups and people who talk about boutique builders, I think that they could name a lot of builders. I'm not sure how many women they could name who are builders. And I think it's sort of funny. And I don't know if it's that as a woman, I sought out women who build guitars because you're always looking for that representation. But I'm sure that someone asked, said to you or I, oh, there aren't very many women who build guitars. I think that you and I could be like, well, there's Meredith, there's Megan, there's Layla, there's plenty of women who build guitars. So yeah. it's just, it's, I, did you, did you go through that kind of similar experience where you were looking for other women who did this thing that you wanted to do? Most definitely. Like I kind of like sought out women and people of color, um, of which I'm both, um, that were building just because I was kind of, I guess, like, you know, curious about or looking for some sort of like kinship, I suppose, like in, you know, in a, like, like you say, there, there are, there are people who are building. And at the same time, like we very much, you know, make up a minority of um, the guitar building world. So I most definitely like, you know, sought people out like over Instagram and this kind of thing. And I'm super inspired by like, I mean, so many women builders. Um, and I'm really honestly like I was, so I, we, you were there, Emily, I went to my first guitar show in Vancouver and I got to meet like three um, women guitar builders that I was like sort of following and, and um, really admire their work. Megan Wells and Meredith Coloma and um, Nicole L. Lozenak. And um, I, I feel, and then there's also like, you know, other, like, like quite a number of super high, you know, high quality acoustic builders, um, who build Linda Man, Linda Manzer being one of them. Um, mm. but, uh, I, like, I, it, it sort of occurred to me, so I had like quite a good experience at that, at the guitar show. Um, I felt like my, you know, work was well received and all this kind of stuff, but it was really cool to sort of share a space with these other women, um, realizing like, like Megan and Meredith in particular, just are these builders who I think have kind of like paved a way for somebody like me because they, produce super high quality instruments and have sort of like and there's women before them as well who have sort of like like done this work and I think 
I don't know, like I, it was really cool to sort of enter a space like that and not feel like I was being, you know, put under a microscope basically for. Or that you were a token. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that at, at guitar shows that has kind of been an experience I have had. Okay. Um, uh, just that there aren't a lot of women at them, but then if there are female performers, there's maybe one. Mm-hmm. If that, that would be like a lot for some of them. But it's nice to see, and I don't know if it's because Meredith is one of the people in charge of, of the Vancouver Guitar Show. I mean, I sent an email to them about um, a, a workshop I went to and she's the one who responded. Right. Yeah. She's like, she's definitely a main organizer of the festival. Yeah. So it felt really cool to, I feel like you can tell when there are women in charge. I think that just the, their presence adds a lot of diversity, completely different way of thinking about everything from the curriculum to the workshops, to the performers, to the exhibitors, the people who actually go to the price point, maybe even. Totally. Yeah. It's funny because women have been a part of guitar building since forever. I mean, during World War II, all the men were at war. So Gibson had to make guitars. So they hired a bunch of women to make them in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, those Kalamazoo's are still sought after. They're great instruments. I played one or two. And Unique and Fender had women winding their pickups. And the idea was that women have smaller hands so that they can they can wind everything a lot better so we've it's it's the kind of thing where we've always been there but just not front and center my husband is a developer and he learned how to code at one of those you know coding schools programs and they have this big wall on just right when you walk in and it's all of these famous coders through history and especially in seattle and they're having some like happy hour or something and I'm looking at the wall and I'm looking through and I'm counting the women on the wall and there are women on there, but they're like in the background, they're not named. And a guy comes up to me and he, he, we're talking. I'm like, the problem with this wall is that there are no women on it who are named. And he said, well, you know, they're probably just, there just weren't a lot of women back then. And I was like, and I said, yeah, I mean, they were there. They were there probably in larger numbers than they are on this wall, just because they're not in the pictures, it doesn't mean they weren't there. History gets written by people in power, and that's probably the biggest flaw with history in general. I mean, Ada Lovelace literally invented coding. You know, it's so, I mean, it's so interesting. Like, you know, I mean, one kind of magazine and, and um, online presence that I like have so much respect for is She Shreds. And like, there's, yeah, there's this entire thing that they've created like around again like just sort of like giving voice you know currently but also historically to so many women queer and non-binary folks who have like who have been super important like players you know but just like are completely erased and I mean it's like I think we all sort of have to question like why you know who's why did it take so long for sister rosetta tharp who invented rock and roll to get into the rock and roll hall of fame like how yeah have you ever heard the phrase cotton picking for guitar uh not for guitar i know 
Andrew, have you heard that phrase cotton picking? I don't think I have. Oh man. Well, Elizabeth Cotton had a very unique style of playing and her style of picking was referred to as cotton picking. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. A woman was the first human, as far as anybody knows, who was, who had a video taken of her playing the steel guitar, slide guitar. Like women have been at the forefront of guitar culture since forever. So like, I just, I, like, one question that sort of comes to mind, I suppose, is, like, you know, we 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 live in a, you know, quote-unquote sort of, like, more progressive kind of society. We, um, we have access to the internet and sort of learning, you know, about all this stuff. But I think that, like you were saying when you were talking about sort of going on a forum and saying who are, you know, who are women guitar builders and people saying, like, I don't know um, – I like I I just I wonder about like culturally speaking not sort of necessarily the people in this room but like um but culturally speaking like like why are we so comfortable with that erasure and like like what will make us uncomfortable with that erasure so that things actually kind of change in a more broad sense like the people looking out for it you know are going to find she shreds or are going to find like these builders who are building or right right you know women who you're gonna you're you're gonna look for your community to be to for that part of belonging, but are you going to look to see like really dig to see what have I missed though? Exactly. Like where are these gaps in my knowledge and experiences? And that's ultimately what makes a person grow. Not finding that safe space. I mean, you can say that women are always in this uncomfortable zone. I think if you're a woman and you get into music and you start playing guitar, you're putting yourself in this uncomfortable zone. So then you have to retreat and to find those, those, those communities of people who share your experiences. But men, the culture as a whole is their comfortable zone. And you can tell some men are just so great with being like, called out for saying something gross or bad. I mean, I'm glad that most of like the Facebook groups I'm in, there was a guy who made a, a hashtag me too joke for something where he just meant like, I also don't like pineapple on pizza or something. And I just responded with a gif of like a cat saying no. And he immediately was like, you're right. That was a bad joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. But then there are the guys who will say that you saying the F word is as bad as just rampant misogyny, which is <laughs> wrong. Like if that's, if you're, if, if you can equate um, an adult woman saying the F word with just terrible misogynistic comments about women, then your priorities are bad. Well, I mean, speaking from a man's perspective, um, I'm not used to having my comfort challenged. And even as someone who really cares about other folks and is someone who tries to be very mindful of that and is constantly looking to improve and to expand my outlook on life and humanity and the human condition, all of that, all of that, you know, it, it kind of bothers me some on a personal level. And my, my jerk reaction is like, excuse me, what did you just say about me? Or like, you're trying to take what from me? This is mine. And like, that's just kind of my gut reaction that at why that is, I don't know, but I know that's kind of what my gut jumps to immediately with this kind of stuff. I mean, I think white women can get into that sort of protective knee jerk sort of reaction when, um, 
you know, you talk about the idea of white feminism and uh, feminism that isn't inclusive to, to women of color. I mean, you hear that, that's that fact all the time that women make 75% of what a man makes, but women of color make a lot less. Black women make maybe 65%. Latina women make like 50%. Yeah. Like that's like, it's worse than that. Like it's bad. And I think that if, as a white woman, if you're not thinking about that, yeah, you have a lot of disadvantages. I have a lot of, you know, I've experienced a lot of sexism, but I haven't experienced sexism and racism. And they are both just atrocious. And a lot of women have to experience both. And it sucks. So sometimes white women get super defensive when like a black woman calls them out. You know what? Just listen, take feedback, not personally, but as a chance to be introspective and, you know, maybe that, that gut reaction is to say, well, screw you. Like, what do you know about me? I'm a good person. But like, if somebody says something that like that to me, even if that's my first reaction, I got to bottle it up. I got to process. I got to think about what I did to hurt somebody. Cause if I hurt somebody, like I don't get to say, no, I didn't hurt you. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's just not how it works. I mean, yeah, there's a term for that, right? Is is uh, white fragility. And like, there's, I mean, yes. dude, I can't even sort of start on that, but there's so many amazing articles online all about it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I hear what you're, I, I hear what you're saying, Emily. And I, I, I agree that it is about like sort of, you know, not necessarily denying that first response of defensiveness, but like recognizing that it is a first response and not like the only response or not like the ultimate response. And then sort of like taking time to like process and learn and like figure out your feelings, not with that person that's kind of like called you in, but, um, but maybe and that it's not that person's job to then answer every single yeah. one of your follow-up questions. <laughs> like, like, you. no, yeah. like, I, I'm sorry, like, I, I can't, that's enough mo- emotional labor. Like, yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. like, guys message me all the time who have, I, they really do, like, pedal builders message me, sometimes guitar builders message me, sometimes people who run gear groups message me, and sometimes they'll ask about, like, oh, how can we make this better for women, or what's your perspective as a woman? I'm, like, I get it, that's coming from the right place, I'm gonna always answer their questions as long as they're sincere, but like, I can see how that would get so exhausting mm-hmm. so quickly. On that note, uh, this one's run a little bit long, so we're probably gonna get going. But Layla, thanks so much for for being a part of a part of our podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate all it. Right. Thanks everybody who listened, and we'll see you all soon. Indeed. See you next time. All right. Bye. It's Emily from the Get Offset Podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this week's episode with Layla City of Tunatone Instruments. 
Um, Layla is just such an incredible guitar builder. I feel so lucky to call her a friend and to have been um, able to, to try out her, her newest instrument, which she's been calling the Tiny Tuna at the Vancouver Guitar Festival earlier in 2018. Um, uh, like we usually do for episodes where we have guest hosts, please, in addition to liking Get Offset on the social media channels, please go and follow Layla, at least on Instagram. She not only posts pictures of her beautiful instruments, she posts videos of her cat tuna, and she does these really cool sort of um, videos uh, of, of her building, and they just kind of go on a loop, and they're really hypnotic, and there are a few that I've watched maybe 10 times before I realize that I'm just watching a 10-second loop over and over. So if that's something that you're into, she does that. It's pretty great. Um, if you need more Layla, and I get that, we have a bonus episode on the way that is just Layla and I talking. And uh, if you liked this, I think you'll like that. If you didn't like this, you should still listen to it. Um, because, I mean, I think it was a, a fun, fun conversation to have. And uh, I hope you agree. Um, please review the podcast. Please subscribe. Um, please leave us feedback on what we're doing. Tell one friend in the guitar community about us. Um, we very much appreciate you taking time to, to listen to us yammer about guitar stuff. We have a lot of fun doing it and we hope you have fun listening. So until next time, thank you for listening and thanks for understanding. Bye.